This is the Final Whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Hello again, my friends. Welcome to the Ask Wrexham podcast, hashtag ASKWXM. That's the best way to get in touch with us on Twitter to ask your questions about Wrexham Football Club, whether you're a long-established fan wondering for our take on something or a new fan wanting to find out more. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC and... There's some good ones this week. But firstly, I need to apologise because, uh, yeah, I've been quite busy the last couple of weeks. These midweek games, week in, week out, bit of a killer. So I am a little bit behind. So I, I do apologise. You want proof how far behind I am? Look at this question sent in before the Sheffield United get replay. Oops. So let's crack on. Darren's Happy Place says, it should go without saying, but we want a full report of the Sheffield United food offerings. Do you broadcast in the same place as the BBC and the SPN? How about the other press? Are you all together with your pork pies? There is so much to pick out of this question, just like a good pork pie. Well, Darren's happy place. Firstly, the food at Sheffield United. They gave us free food. Fair enough. I was a little surprised. The main offering they gave us were sandwiches in packs that looked like they'd all been got from a garage. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's fair enough. It's very good of them. It's free. Let's not knock it. And bags of crisps and stuff like that. Hot drinks. But impressively, after the game, there were warm little mini pies. And I'll put one on screen for those of you who are watching on video. But basically, they had a a Sheffield United crest on which was a, a nice little touch and uh, chicken and leek that sort of pie so that was a bit of a treat but there's more in this question so do we broadcast in the same area as the BBC and ESPN right BBC yes so we both in the press box and that will be the case in any match ESPN no ESPN's commentators are most likely in a big building in Watford. Um, a awful lot of commentaries for the big companies are done remotely, unless they're, it's like their home competition. So, I mean, it might be. I, I don't actually know who the commentators were on ESPN. Um, if it was the commentators who did it on ITV, the terrestrial broadcast that covered that match, that would be the guys who are live, but they... TV commentators aren't with the likes of us. They'll be up on the gantries. So the, the, where the cameras are usually, the, cam the commentators also will be. So TV commentators are kept apart from us. At the race course, TV commentators would be the opposite side of the ground from us, for example, because the camera gantries are the opposite side. Um, however, an awful lot of commentaries are, and especially for those big companies, because they'll cover lots of different international events are actually recorded remotely off big screens and I know that the main one is around Watford just north of London where lots of like European matches get commentated on and the commentators may or may not make out they're in the stadium but they're not actually there so that's that and then the other bit with the pork pies is and I have said this before but I just feel a little bit of guilt the whole hot plate uh, experience at halftime is wonderful. I should emphasise that we started her off with um, sort of more meat and potato style pies. I would say pork pies, which it turned into very quickly, 
was was more just lovely people giving us pork pies. And the pork pie, I'd say, is not necessarily associated with football. It's not not associated with football, but it's the idea of a steak and kidney pie, a meat and potato pie, a chicken curry pie. Those are the football classics, if you will. Um, it would be fairly unusual, I would say, to find a pork pie sold at a football match. They're a slightly more specialised type of pie, if you like. They are very nice, though. I will say that, and I'm certainly not turning anyone down if they decide that they need to give me a, a high-quality pork pie. I, I, all donations gratefully received. <laughs> now, Al Hanna, linking to this, says, Who has the best food in the National League? I saw a picture of the food from Altrincham last game, and now I want to try it. Uh, also, no famous people in Iowa to hug, unfortunately. Al, I, I'm going to take, take issue with you on this, because John Wayne, of course, came from Iowa, although I admit hugging him now does seem to be a logistical, logistical nightmare. But um, Elijah Woods from Iowa, so please track him down. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that now. That, that does sound worrying you, like I'm encouraging, nay, insisting upon stalking. I'm sorry. Um, best food? I find this a slightly difficult question to answer now. And those of you who've been following the Eastern Start will have heard this, I guess. Kidderminster famously had the best food. Astounding food. The sort of food you would travel for, frankly. Um, but they don't have that anymore. Those, they don't now use those caterers. So Kidderminster has no longer got the, the, the trademark amazing food that they used to have. Um, a lot of football grounds are quite generic in their foods. Half-frozen pies that are then stuck in a microwave before the match. Um, the non-league, the National League, is probably slightly better, I would say, than the big clubs. I mean, the really big clubs now sometimes do go a bit more bespoke because they've got the money to do so. Um, but generally, actually, I think the National League often is better because they actually have their own foods, their, you know, their own local foods more than just just huge amounts shipped in on the back of freezer trucks or inside them, even. Um, Oldham's pies were very impressive. They were the ones that started off our pie sampling. Um, I don't think I've ever had anything at Altrincham. I've mentioned before Eastleigh have a catering truck in the ground and they are the Spitfires and the Spitfire burger is an impressive combination of most of the things you could logically hope to put onto a burger and that, that's very nice but it's more like a fully loaded burger I suppose but it's good. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone really massively stands out now. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody else could correct me on this. But I'm, I'm struggling to think of, like, too many obvious ones. Sorry. Mind you, if you like that sort of food, you know, Fussy Grands will provide you with, with meaty treats. Um, Chris asks, are Wrexham players full-time? Or do some still have part-time jobs to support themselves? Or were they once part-time before moving to full-time under Parkey? Um, Wrexham has been full-time for a very long time so um it used to be like in the first half of the 20th century that players would be part-time often what would happen would be that the club would use its relationship with the local mines to get players a job in the mines and i mentioned ali mcgowan i think a couple of weeks ago he was a legendary player from the 50s and 60s and he moved down from scotland because he was offered you know a part-time wage plus 
a guaranteed job down the mines. He was a miner in Scotland. He was going to get more money if he moved down. So he did that, and a few of the Scottish players did. And McGowan's brother stayed up north as a scout for Wrexham, going around offering good Scottish players these, you know, the f- nice offers of a uh, uh, football wage and a mine wage. So there were quite a few players. Not quite a few players would be, you know, doing a shift down the pit and would come up and play in the afternoon. So that was the case, but for quite a long time now, Wrexham had been fully professional. And so it's not a case of Parkinson coming in and changing that. Remember, this is the lowest we've been in our history. So we have come down to a league which traditionally used to be quite a lot of them part-time. Um, the fact that permanent uh, automatic promotion relegation existed didn't for a long time and until the late 80s means that actually this National League has become pretty professionalised. There aren't that many part-time teams left in it. Altrincham, for example, turned part-time this season because if you want to compete at this level, you're almost like certainly going to have to go full-time. So Wrexham have been full-time for quite a long time. We have had players who have turned full-time when they signed for us in recent years. One of them, who I will mention later, and who was uh, prominent in the first episode of Welcome to Wrexham, Paul Rutherford. They went to visit him in his house. He was the player who got sent off in the last game before Parkinson came in and was very upset in a changing room. A lovely man. He's been a guest of ours on Dragon Heart. If you want to seek that out, absolutely lovely fella. And he worked in a B&Q, so a sort of um, warehouse-style store for for builders and you know, like a little garden centre attached, things like that. So he used to play for Southport, a team that sort of yo-yo between Wrexham's level and the level below, currently they're the level below. They're about, what? 10 miles north of Liverpool on the coast and they yeah they, they are part-time and so he played for New for Southport and he was part-time he came to Wrexham he became full-time um the another obvious example to me was Nat Knight Percival who was a centre-back for us well eventually uh, when we got 98 points in that season 10 years ago when we were so unlucky not to go up and he was an excellent player who then was poached by football league club so he went up a level but he came to us from Histon, very small club, who um, were part-time. And so he said his first season, he actually didn't play in the defence. He played as a winger, which is how he played for where he played for Histon. And he said that he found that first season difficult to adjust from all his life he'd been part-time and then becoming full-time was quite a step up. So it can be awkward sometimes for players or tricky for some players to do that but no Wrexham have been a professional full-time team for what well, I mean, goodness me since the 60s 50s maybe even certainly for a long time now JD Lightning this was this was one I had a lot of people scratching their heads and it was such a it's such an obvious sensible question um, but I've had a few people say, oh, we saw this on your Twitter feed, we don't get it. Um, and there were actually some very good explanations of this. I think I've got a simple way to do this. It's simple, but when you stop and think about it, you realise, I've never really thought about this. If you look at it from an outside point of view, if you're a football fan, you, you suddenly think, oh, actually, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, Jamie Lightning uh, basically asks, how's it decided which is the right and left side of the pitch? Is it from the point of view of the press box? Or is it in relation to the home and away ends? Well, firstly, I'm going to say that when we talk about right and left side, we're talking about from the perspective goal to goal. So we're not talking about the view from the press box. 
we're talking about right and left sides from goal to goal. And the second thing, which again, it's, your question makes perfect sense when you actually stop and think about it. Football fans don't think about it because we feel we know what <laughs> what we mean, if you like, already. Um, is that it's from the perspective, right and left changes depending on which team you're on. So it's if consider it this way. Imagine you are the goalkeeper. So you're standing in the goal. For your team, the right is your right-hand side. The left is your left-hand side. For the other side's goalie, at the other end, the right is their right. The left is their left. So our right is the other side's left. I hope I'm making sense. So, for example, if you look at Wrexham, Anthony Ford is our right wing-back. He plays on the right. Jacob Mendy or Callum McFadden, a left wing-back, he plays on the left. So if you imagine if you're kicking towards the cop, you can imagine there, Ford is on the right in front of the Macron stand and Mendy is on the left in front of the Wrexham Lager stand. But in the second half, we will switch around. So Mendy will be playing down the left in front of the Macron stand, Ford will be playing down the right in front of the Wrexham Lager stand. And then, of course, that means that your perspective on right and left switches depending on which team's perspective you're referring to. So in commentary, I would say Ford is on the right. I'm talking about Wrexham because I'm talking about Ford. But when I'm talking about Moss, the walking left back on Tuesday, he's on the left. But that's the same side as Ford because our right is walking's left. I thought I had a good way to explain that. I have not, I've lost faith in myself now. I hope that explained it. Um, Al, again, said he heard through the grapevine that Andy Cannon's new nickname is Simba. Ooh. Do you happen to know all the nicknames the players give each other? No, got to be honest. I will investigate to see if there's any good ones. However, I've got to be honest with you and say that generally, not always, but generally, football players just add a, a noise onto the end of somebody's first name, uh, somebody's name or the first syllable of their name. So, for example, Paul Mullen, Mulls. Christian Dibble, Dibs. Although the, the, the preferred approach will be to put a Y on the end. Yes, that's right. Um, for some reason, that, that seems quite popular with fans. Youngie, for example. So, so there may be some subtle nicknames, but generally, I would say football players don't go in for that. Not that they never have. Um, the greatest one of all time was the defender who played for us. The club that comes to mind is Oldham. I'm trying to think if he played for other teams called Fitz, F-I-T-Z, Hall. And he was known as One Size because One Size Fits All. Huh? Huh? I'll try and investigate further. I don't reckon you'll get many... Fantastic nicknames, Simba. <laughs> well, that, that's a that's a new one on me. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll try and find out more. Um, oh, by the way, as well, a little bit of any other, any other business. Uh, we talked about um, orientation of the ground and Thane Emrys Bertine. Thank you so much. You really need to give me tuition on how to say your name, though. 
After more searching through the 1897-1902 Welsh newspapers than I care to admit, don't worry, I, I, I'm often in that rabbit hole, I feel relatively confident that the reason the goal positioning was changed in 1901 was due to extensive changes to the stadium made with an eye towards revitalising horse racing. So you'll remember that we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the orientation of the pitch. It used to be at right angles to how it is now. So where the, where the cop is would be alongside the side of the pitch. Um, and this is fascinating research. Yes, I mean, the ground, as the name is suggests, was a race course. Race, racing in Wrexham was quite, you know, was a big deal, but it fell into disrepute, really, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, the, they were, because when there were race meetings in Wrexham, there tended to be trouble in town. And so they, they sort of died out. So, okay, this is interesting. And there is a an interesting clip uh, talking about trying to have extra races in Wrexham, trying to rebuild the ground. A new wing of the stand has been cons uh, constructed. The straight running has been widened. So it does look like an awful lot was done then. That covered stands that is mentioned on this is, as I understand it, on the Mould Road side, so where the Macron stand is. Traditionally, that always used to be the big grandstand, the turf, when they were using that as a changing room, obviously on the same side of the pitch as well, to accommodate that. So that was always like the main permanent stand, if you will. Right, now then, cryptic construct. Good day, Mark. Are all football pitches the same size? So sticking on the football pitch theme, and the answer is no. But there are maximum and minimum dimensions that you have to adhere to. Uh, penalty areas have to be the same size, but the actual outside perimeter of the pitch doesn't. So the length of the pitch can vary between 100 and 130 yards, for example. That's a substantial difference, isn't it? Um, the width of the pitch, likewise, hang on, I can't read it, 50 to 100 yards? 50 can't be, surely you can't have a 50 yard, okay, all right, this, I'm, this could be wrong, I'm wondering now, I'm seeing it properly, but definitely there are maximum, minimum uh, lengths and widths. We've seen this at Wrexham, where a Wrexham manager years ago felt that we didn't have good wide players, and the other side did, and narrowed the pitch in order to uh, nullify the other side's wide players and compensate for the fact that we didn't have good wide players. Right, can you do that during a season? Well, you can. Is it seen as a dodgy thing to do? Yeah, I would say it is, but it, it's not, not allowed. It's just seen as a bit of a you know, sort of bad sportsmanship. But yeah, it can be done. Uh, so you can vary between. It's, it's rare to see teams make changes during the season. But it does make sense. If you think about the team, say, being defensive or fearing a heavy beating, well, the narrower the pitch, the more you can congest it maybe and make it difficult for teams to come at you. Likewise, if you're looking to pass the ball around, you would like as big a pitch as possible, quite possibly, if you've got fast strikers to try and get in behind the defenders. And then if the defenders drop deep to stop you running in behind, you've got lots of room in midfield to pass the ball around. So you can play crafty little games the size of the pitch. I would be cautious of necessarily judging the size of a pitch based on TV pictures because the position of the camera can make things very deceptive. There are some football grounds in Britain that were famous for having big 
pictures or small pictures and often it's it's more of an illusion because of how high up the camera is um the old Wembley for example everyone talks about the wide open spaces of Wembley but it was partly an optical illusion from the cameras being high up and there being in the old Wembley a greyhound track because you saw greyhound racing there around the pitch which made it look bigger than it was because the stands were further back so sort of optical illusion and then also um the fact that Wembley in those days was rarely used only for the biggest games and the FA Cup final, you'd often see loads of players going around with cramp at the end of the match, which was more to do with the, the fact that sports science didn't exist, that people didn't have the same understanding of diets as they do now, and the players were often pushing themselves extra hard in the cup final because they were desperate to win, often on unseasonably warm days, well, certainly on football seasonably warm days. And so they overexerted themselves, and people saw that as evidence that the pitch is so big they can't cover it for 90 minutes when it was more that they were unfit. That the night before they'd had six pints or ten pints of lager and that it was hot, and they were trying extra hard. So, but yeah, you can vary the width and length of a pitch within set parameters. Beardy, last Wrexham player to score on his debut. Okie dokie, because Owen O'Connell, of course, did. Last one before him, oh, Beardy, please, I hope you accept this answer. Reese Hall Johnson, first day of the season, 2020, his debut, he scored against Boreham Wood. Beardy, if you say to me, but he's a wing-back, I'm going to say that's a defender. If you say, I can hear your logic if you are saying it, yeah, but a wing-back's like a, you know, not really an out-and-out -out defender, then um, I'll have to say that you have defeated me. I will keep looking, but I went back quite a long way. I couldn't find one. I f have a vague recollection that Phil Coleman, on loan from Colchester, scored in his first game for us. He was a centre-back in the early 80s, but I could be completely wrong on that. So I'll keep looking, but I'm afraid I went back quite a bit, and Hall Johnson was the best I'd come up with. I reckon he counts, I think. Um, the Wrexham Texan, so they were listening to the final whistle about football culture. Um, is trading scarves still a tradition in Wrexham? Looking to trade my local club scarf when I visit next month. Also, what are some post-game traditions? Do people meet at the pub to celebrate? Um, not in Chester, they don't. They've got nothing to celebrate. <laughs> oh, they're doing quite well, actually. Damn. Um, right, okay, scarves. I don't know that there's a big culture of that in Britain. I see in Germany, a lot of German fans will have other team scarves. In Germany, they have this really interesting concept of, um, oh, was, it like, was it Freundschaftverein or something? Where you have teams, it's, it's a weird thing, purely created by fan culture, which is fantastic. German fan culture is great. Um, where where they, a club will get a sort of twin club often for no obvious reason. Sometimes there are clear reasons, political reasons, uh, for example, left-wing clubs that like each other. But often it is just, I don't know, shared a good game, had a good time together at a match, and these bonds become semi-official. And so you do see German fans often with their own colours and another team's colours. It's quite a peculiar thing. In Britain, well, look, don't get me wrong, that you will find, if you come over, you will find Wrexham fans will be very happy to exchange scarves or things like that with you. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a massively established thing, but I, I think people would be very happy to, I think is the 
the basic answer to that. I think you find lots of people who would think that it was cool to have, you know, another team scarf, um, but not quite in the same sort of codified way you would in Germany. Um, Post-match traditions, essentially what you're saying, people go to the pub after the game quite often, and we've got some nice choices. I think this slightly links into a later question as well, because you've got the turf right at the ground, that's the obvious place you could go. You've got the mice going across the road, the Wrexham Lager Club is just down the hill towards town, so straight away you've got those three. There is also the Place Koch, which is, if you can imagine, well, you go, you'd go round the back of the um, tech end, where the home fans go, and keep going for a little bit, and and that's pretty close. That's certainly walking distance. Um, I, that hasn't got the same. That's more of a chain pub, really. I would say, uh, it hasn't got quite the same uh, sort of football identity as those first three. So I'd imagine those first three might be more um, obvious for somebody coming to get a bit of the culture. Um, but but yeah, the Pasco's perfectly good pub as well. So they're all within easy walking distance, and and as well, the town is or city. Oops is within easy walking distance. You're talking about 10 miles back downhill after the match. 10 miles, 10 minutes downhill after the match. So, yeah, I mean, you've got all sorts to choose from. If you're fancying a sort of post-match experience, those three near the ground are surely the best ones. But having said that, um, you know, stick your nose in and see what it looks like in there. You know, see where, see where people are getting a bit more enthusiastic, where there is a decent crowd and, That'll probably your judgments will probably not let you down. Paul Bell, um, podcast question: What happens if Southampton and United are liquidated before Wrexham play them in March? Do we just get the points from a forfeit, or do we lose out on the games and the points? Not played played them before March, um, so they get a chance for good points. Well. Well, firstly, let's desperately hope Southend don't go out of business, although I'm recording this on the day that a number of their players have handed in their notice, essentially. Um, sort of common rule with British football players' contracts is, that, is there comes a point, if you're not getting paid, where you're allowed to give 14 days' notice that you're going to walk out and sever your contract. So there could... I mean, that's, that's, that does feel very worrying for Southend. They, it could be that they will... That, that, that they will not be able to continue if they lose players like that. Hopefully, in that fortnight period, they'll be able to come up with something. However, the last time I can think of when this happened, the club were not able to save themselves. That was Macclesfield Town, a team which is you know, about, not far from Wrexham, about an hour away by car, um, and a team that yo-yos between League Two and the National League over the last 20 years. Um Sadly, they went out of business. They went through that experience. Wrexham actually picked up a couple of very good players from them because they'd walked out on their 14-day notice. So that happened. And also, what, about nine years ago, it happened to Chester. So Chester also went out of business. Now, Macclesfield, I'm trying to remember if they actually started the season. I think they might not have done. Chester certainly did. They got through to about November. And so basically what happens is the, the second scenario which you described, Paul, which is basically all their games are expunged from the records. So if you played them, it just didn't happen. In terms of Wrexham and Notts County, well, we drew with Southend, so we'd lose one point. Notts County also drew with Southend, so they'd lose one point. So in terms of that title battle, it actually would make no difference. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's that's essentially what's what the situation is. Not, oh, it did happen more recently with Dover. Now this was a very odd situation. Dover during COVID, their chairman, their chairman. How can I put this? Is not shy of sharing his opinion with everybody, and is not shy of taking contrary opinions, shall we say, and positions. And he also was on the boards of the National League, which might explain why the National League, also as a body, often has those characteristics. He said that Dover could not continue um, under COVID, in COVID without crowds. I genuinely can't say if he was right or not. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have that level of expertise. But that was his contention. And so he pulled his team out of their fixtures. That meant that Wrexham beat Dover 3-1, so that game didn't exist. Uh, we lost three points. Bizarrely, the game didn't happen in terms of you know, the records. The goals obviously don't count towards those players who scored in that game. Which I remember currently was Kelleher, Hall, Johnson and I want to see Jordan Davis, but I could be wrong on Jordan Davis. But yellow cards did. And it was a Keller who got a suspension, even though that game never happened. Because for some reason, yellow cards do still carry. But yeah, we lost those three points. <clears throat> it led to the bizarre situation of Bryce Hosanna making his debut against Dover and then making his debut again the week after because the Dover game never happened, if you see what I mean. But let's hope that doesn't happen anyway. Let's hope that Southend survive because that's a, that's a another club with a long history, uh, an atmospheric old ground, and a proper fan base. We we awful to see them go out of business. Let's wish them all the best and hope that they can turn things around. Uh, Jim in Monticello has said, um, "Oh, now I don't have a clear answer to this. Roughly, how much would it cost to sponsor the Tech End stands? There's no sponsor." And how many season tickets would come with it? Could be a good investment for someone to get in now before moving to League Two next season. I think that's a very good call. Um, a lot is my first answer. <laughs> I don't have a figure for this. And I've tried to search back and look through for how much companies like Macron and Wrexham Lager have paid to sponsor stands um, and I can't find any evidence any public evidence of it which suggests to me that maybe companies and clubs like to play those cards quite close to their chests so I can't tell you that I would assume the season ticket thing it's not I, don't, I would imagine you don't have that so much as <clears throat> maybe part of the deal will be that you'll pay for a private box or that you'll have some tickets in the director's box I would suspect if you were doing that sort of thing. But um, I will ask the question, but I suspect I may be told that it's, uh, <laughs> you know, on a needs no basis. Jim, if you want to make an offer, they may have to tell you the price range then. That might be the best way to find out. The Happy Walrus. Oh, you and me both, baby. Tom O'Connor has certainly taken one for the team helping out as a defender. Well, he did because he got injured uh, while others heal. But do you concur that the, the offence, or offence, American use, is much more efficient when he plays in the centre of the pitch? Yes, I do. Um, I think Tom O'Connor is a genuinely high-class player. And one of the big qualities that he has is that ability to see things quickly. 
to play that decisive pass, the pass that maybe cuts out the other side's midfield earlier than most players at our level can do. He's a really good player. Um, he's a bit of a, a, a football, sort of borrowing an idea from uh, American football, a bit of a sort of midfield quarterback player, sort of deep-lying playmaker who can hit long passes that will just open things up. He doesn't tend to um, go for the fancy, more just observe, he observes while he spots gaps, he hits the passes into the gaps to feed players much higher at the pitch accurately. Not, I'm not talking about thumping long balls, I'm talking about accurate long passes. So yeah, because that means the strikers get good service and get the ball where they want it to be, at their feet, rather than trying to control it with their shoulder or fighting to win a header. And they are able to receive it often in space because O'Connor has seen their movements. So yeah, he definitely helps the strikers be definitely, I think, are more effective going forwards. I'd also say defensively we're a bit more solid. Because although O'Connor is not you know, your massive Jordan Tunnicliffe, Aaron Hayden, Ben Tozer type, he is a, a strong enough and big enough player to play comfortably at centre-back. And so when you put him in front of the back three you do have a good player to battle. And I did say on the final whistle podcast about the walking game, I think we really missed him in that match, not only because we struggled to get the ball down and impose our style of play on walking, which O'Connor, I think, would have helped with massively, but also because there was a lot of fighting for the ball in midfield and fighting for loose balls. O'Connor can tackle. O'Connor is good at anticipating. O'Connor is good in the air. So he would have been perfectly suited to that sort of scenario. I, I really rate O'Connor. It took him a long time to get going for Wrexham because he was unlucky. He kept getting injuries. And then players in his position were playing well, so it was hard for him to get back in. But it's a shame he's been injured now because you know we're really starting to see the benefits of having such a good player in the middle of the pitch for us. Um, Lusu, firstly, Lusu, um, I I want to say thank you so much for the um, it is you, Lusu, isn't it? For the Macron stand, the Lego stand, we'll be sending some stuff out uh, onto social media to show about that. Anyway, if it isn't you, sorry. Secondly. I think it's great that Wrexham Legends are coming to the US, but we don't know a thing about these guys. We only know the current team we learned about from Welcome to Wrexham. And then a similar question from Idina. Uh, with the announcement of Wrexham entering in the Million Dollar Tournament in June, do you have any inside information on who will be a part of that uh, seven-man squad? And what made you turn down the striker position on the squad? Excited to see the boys play. Um, well, I, I'm very much a goalkeeper, I assure you. I would not be playing up front. And frankly, I put so much weight on now that I think playing in goal would be a, uh, a threat to the, the, the stage of the pitch because I'd probably do a lot of damage stamping my feet down. Um, right, in terms of who's going, I only know stuff that's been published. I assume it's not really firmed up properly. Um, but certainly we know that Dave Jones, who played for us against Altrincham in the FA Trophy, we assumed he'd retired, but obviously he you know, he's still involved as a coach. And so he was able to fill in in that game. I know he's going to be the manager. He manages Wrexham's reserve team. Wouldn't be surprised to see him playing. He is a class player who came through the ranks at Man United and played plenty of football in the Premier League. So he's actually local. He's he's from Gresford, I think, just literally about three hours. Three, I keep saying hours and miles of the minutes. Literally about three, four minutes from where I am sitting in my house right now. Um, so that's right on the edge of Wrexham. So he has roots with us, although he only joined us under Phil Parkinson. Also, I believe that Sean Pearson is confirmed. Pearson 
was an excellent captain for Wrexham. Dean Keats signed him. He was with us for, I think, four seasons. Uh, a, a very aggressive, rugged defender and leader. Uh, a little bit like Tozer, perhaps. Although Pearson, uh, not quite as big. You know, Tozer wins a lot of headers by his bulk alone. Uh, didn't have a long throat, Pearson. But a very strong, experienced uh, fighter for the ball. It was a player who you could never, ever accuse of of giving anything less than 100%. A really inspiring guy. He also got involved uh, locally, uh, you know, the whole community thing. During COVID, he was helping to deliver food. He was doing, which must have been quite cool when Sean Pearson turns up to bring you pizza. Um, and also... He was. Uh, he then went to, to Grimsby. Wrexham was supposed to be offering him a contract, but I think we took a long time offering it, and he went to Grimsby, who, the other club he's mostly associated with, for a second spell, and he was playing against us last season. So he is now up in League Two. But a, a very nice guy. Oh, as well, very importantly, a proper leader and captain, sort of guy who will ball people out if they're not meeting his standards of, of, of play and behaviour. A uh, top, you know, top bloke, a, a good man, and it'd be cool to see him in the Wrexham shows again. And the other one, the man I mentioned earlier, Paul Rutherford, the guy who uh, worked in B and Q, who was sent off in that first couple of episodes of Welcome to Wrexham, who was a, a winger or midfielder, and absolutely tireless. And I think in those smaller pitches, at seven aside, he could be quite fun because he would be running around covering every blade of grass. He went to the Welsh League after leaving us and he's too good for that level of football. So my understanding is that he has been very, very impressive at that level. And Mark Carrington, I believe, is also confirmed. Carrington was signed by Andy Morrell. That's a fair whack ago and put in terrific service for us for about eight years a brilliantly versatile player a very genuine man as well scored a famous goal for us in 2015 when we went to stoke city who were then a big team in the premier league we played magnificently and 15 minutes left it was still nil nil and carrington scored a terrific diving header which won our goal of the season trophy the steve edwards goal of the season and everybody was ecstatic. We're going to win at the Premier League. The ground is amazing. Stoke brought on Peter Crouch and he scored. And brought on an Irish international who scored too. And we lost 3-1. But it was fun while it lasted. Uh, Carrington, really good player. has gone to Kidderminster now. And, and I think Kidderminster have done very well to get him. He should be playing at our level, I think. It's a little disappointing to be letting go, in all honesty. A very... A reliable professional player who was very versatile he came in as a midfielder but we used him straight away as a right back because we had problems there and although he didn't consider it to be his position he did exceptionally well at right back and won the player of the season award in his first season playing at right back oh by the way Pearson also won for player of the season in his first season with us and Carrington Right back was probably the position he played most, but he also played left back sometimes and was proficient at it. He sometimes played at centre back, usually more on a three than a two, a little bit less uh, defensive stress on a, th a defender on a three rather than a two. He did play centre midfield. Um, he did play wide midfield. I remember him scoring a couple of goals against Hereford, playing wide midfield under a caretaker manager. I had a different idea of how to deploy him. And in that Stoke game, he actually played in a very unusual surprise tactic behind a striker. 
like a number 10. But his job was more that they knew Stoke would pass the ball out from the back. And his job was more that he'd use his defensive qualities in the other side's half to help organise Wrexham in terms of how we try to stop Stoke passing from the back and how we try and nick the ball from them. And it worked beautifully. And when he got into the box, he scored. So, uh, you know, that was a real tactical masterstroke. So pretty much the only position he never really played for for Wrexham at some point were goalkeeper and striker. <laughs> Everything else he's, he's kind of done. Uh, top bloke, Mark Carrington. So, yeah, that looks like it will be a fun competition, that, doesn't it? Um, I like the way that the, the Moners have referred to the Legends teams uh, as part of the club, um, because I think that's that's very nice. I mean, we have a Legends team that play charity matches locally. I think it's very nice to do that. So it won't be the current team. There were no current players in it. But, yeah, those those Legends are genuine players who were very good for us, and we'll have to see who else is confirmed, won't we? Interesting potential names, I can imagine. Right, now, oops, it is easy. Just press the button twice. And I then, nevertheless, travel advice, where do you recommend to go for local eats and good times, like a pub, in Wrexham this June, and to watch Wrexham in the US tournament? Well, I think my previous comments when it comes to sport, or when it comes to uh, watching Wrexham on the screen, the turf, the Mysquin, Wrexham Lager Club are the real obvious ones. Um, but there's plenty of... There's, Wrexham is a brewery town. Yeah? Wrexham Lager was brewed here for a long, long time. There's plenty, there's plenty of pubs in Wrexham, I assure you. And I would, I would again, maybe suggest sticky nose and see who's playing what. There's also interesting bars, you know, places, places that will serve beer, like um, the, what you call it? Ah, what's it called? I forgot what it's called now. I'll come back in a later time. But there are some quite interesting bars now. That you, you look on social media and you'll see. Um, and then, as well, if I'm honest, I don't know if I want to go any further here, because in that, in this sense, there's lots of good stuff on Twitter, better than what I would say. There was a recent thread on Twitter. If you have a look, I, I I've definitely commented on it. I don't remember who who started it. Um, so it's worth looking around. You'll see lots of stuff. I would say the Pantarokin is an excellent pub for food, but it's just outside Wrexham. So if you rent a car, that's a real high quality place for good food and good, interesting beers as well. Um, but Britain's had a bit of a renaissance in terms of like having good ranges of beers and pubs rather than just the same generic stuff. So you, you go find a lot of places you'll find interesting beers. If you if you want, if you're after fun, all right, these are the recommendations I made on that thread as well. The Drunk Monk in town is a sort of cute, boutique, small sort of Belgian beer place. So you'll find unusual stuff there and potent stuff there, believe me. Um, and it's quite small and atmospheric. Uh, where else? The, was it the Magic Dragon Tap? It's called. Isn't it on Charles Street? That's that's a, a similar sort of place. And Bank Street Social is a coffee shop, but also sells really interesting beers as well. And that's 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 well worth going. And if you want to meet the locals, that's a good sort of coffee shop because again, it's quite small. Where you'll end up chatting to people. You know, to be honest, if you want to meet local Wrexham people, you know, go to Starbucks. You'll be on a table on your own, really, and you probably won't that much. Um, but in a place like Bank Street Social, you probably would. But there's, there's lots of interesting and nice places around. Oh, lots of people talk a lot about the Portuguese um, cafe, the Vasco da Gama for breakfast, and things like that. 
Uh, I've been there a couple of times. Nice lattes, but um, yeah, there's there's lots of nice nice places about that you can you can go for. Kurt Bennett. Uh, now, I, I, important that I address this. Wrexham play has been problematic lately. Mixler seems to work well every time. Are you concerned switching to Mixler permanently? No. And the reason's this. The Wrexham player platform is definitely the best thing for the club. We will be able to monetize it really well once we get back into the football league. So it's important for the club to have that. Also, I think it's also important for the club to have one central place where we go for everything. So we can put that. We always put the highlights on earlier on Wrexham Player and on YouTube later. Um, so it is healthy, I think, to have those sorts of coverage in the same place. Mixler is an excellent, excellent backup. The Wrexham Player platform will have to undergo a change soon because we all the clubs use ISDN lines to commentate on. Now that is part of the problem. ISDN is an obsolete technology and therefore it's not easy to get well service people to service equipment or to come out and service lines. It can be a little fragile sometimes because there's no money in it now because they are obsolete and in 2025 they will be switched off. But that is the system that we are tied to if we use Wrexham Player. And like I said, in the long term and medium term, it massively isn't the club's benefit to do that. So the problems we're having at the moment, are, I'm afraid, I think is something we're going to have to try and get through. They will have to come up with a solution, I assume using VoIP, uh, in the near future. And I hope that once they do that, we can jump straight onto it and have something much more stable. I've got to say, part of the reason there's problems with Wrexham Player, and this is something that massively frustrates me, which you'll understand why in a moment, is that it's always something different. It's not often not Wrexham Player's fault. It's often not that platform's fault. It might be something else. We had a, a kit with a, a glitch in it, and it was a weird glitch, and we got engineers to help us out. And eventually, fair play, the BBC massively helped us out. And I think that's solved now. But it was illogical. And all these engineers and specialists were saying, don't understand this, but it's clearly not working. Something's going wrong. Because there was a pattern of problems with the kit, which didn't make sense. I mean, I did a test where I actually, believe it or not, used two separate ISDN mixer kits, eight different cables and six different ports and tried every single combination to work out what was going on. And you just couldn't get your finger, you couldn't put your finger on it. The same things were happening no matter what combination. But we were also testing lines to London, where the Wrexham player team are, and it was definitely working at their end. So, and it, it was really strange. Um, and then we've had other issues as well, which have been not related to that. Um, so the frustrating thing is that, you know, we have a problem, we solve it, then something different goes wrong. Um, there was a problem with the website, uh, uh, the one, what was it, the Wheelston game, when there genuinely was an issue, and that was nationwide. That was the whole platform, not just us. So, yes, I totally agree. It is frustrating, and, and it's a, a huge shame, but I, I think what we're doing now is probably the best thing. I will say that what we've decided to do now is a sort of belt and braces approach, is we always are going to try and go on Wrexham Player, unless we absolutely know it won't work. But we are also going to set up so we can, at a flick of a switch, go to Mixler. That is not something we want to do. When we start jumping around from one platform to the other, we're going to lose people. We know that. 
um, but it's good to have that backup. So the sort of belt and braces approach, those will be the only two places it will be. It'll either be on Wrexham Players Normal or it'll be on that exact Mixler page, which is the Wrexham underscore AFC Mixler page. So those are the only two places it will be. And I do try on my Twitter because I'm the guy up there fighting with the, fighting with all the equipment. If there are any issues, I will try to make sure that I put it on there with the Ask Wrexham hashtag because that's the best way I can get out to as many people as possible. Hopefully, though, because Tuesday went without a hitch, hopefully we have actually got over the hump and we'll be all right. Please let it all be all right. Please, please let it all be all right. I think this is the final one, it is. And it's an interesting one. Jago saying, this time last season, we've already had five red cards, dropping 14 points in the offending matches and under five during Mullen suspensions. This year, we've had no red cards and no suspensions. Are we getting lucky or is it fair player tactic? Can we keep it up? And Pamela's quite right in saying fair play is a tactic which you benefit from. And I agree. I, I, think, I think there's a major overruling consideration here though we're better this season than last season um, if you think about last season it was really after the January transfer window that things really coalesced when we brought in some more players to, to build up the team so actually I would argue that we're better than we were we keep the ball better than we did and I know this is terribly simplistic but I don't think you should ignore the obvious explanation of we're not. We, if we have the ball a lot more than the other side, we're not going to give free kicks away because we've got the ball. So if, I think that is a genuine factor, and it definitely, as you rightly say, your stats back it up. It definitely helps to not have players missing or to go down to ten men. So I think so. I think all managers would agree they don't want to see. Uh, disciplinary problems disrupting their teams but having said that I think probably all managers would agree if you lose the ball in a dangerous part of the pitch and you can kick the bloke and stop the attack and take a yellow card rather than concede a goal they'd want you to do it so yeah football managers can be quite hypocritical in that way right that's it I think I'm off but it's a lovely as always to speak to you I, I, I love doing this it means a lot to me that people are so enthusiastic about a club that, that I love so thank you so much for sending your questions. Keep them coming in. We'll be commentating on Saturdays, so send those in as well. So I'm on my way. Thanks, everybody. Keep ass Wrexhaming. That's not a good slogan. Shoot the poop. That's a good slogan. Shoot the poop with Mark Griffiths of Wrexham AFC. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.